NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Great Cricketer on the Diamantina Podcast Network. Well, I've been saying for a while now that this is the worst time of year. You, you won't feel as bad as what you do right now. Everyone's back to work. You've been drinking alcohol for months on end. It seems like just turkey and ham for days and days and days and days. And then the cricket's on and you think, how good's the cricket? How good? But then, but then what happens is it rains all the time and then when it doesn't, we mm. don't play. And then India win the series two cricket matches to one cricket match. So congratulations to India. No one in India listens to this podcast. Mm. Um, there's so much to talk about. Uh, Moses Enriques is on the show uh, to talk about many things. Enriques. Enriques, sorry. Oh, okay, my bad. Um, Love Shane Enriquez. <laughs> Why can't we just have guys on the team called Dean Jones? Mm. Just because he doesn't reply to our DMs. That's true. Mm. Okay, well, this is a wild introduction to start with. Many things to talk about. There's obviously so much cricket happening around the world, least of all in Australia. Uh, Enriquez is on the show, and also we're going to have a journalist of some description who we're trying to sort out as we speak. But you already know who that is because it's in the title of the show. Um, my name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. Boys, happy new year again. Uh, I just <laughs> forgot that we did a show last week. So many shows happening at the same time. Uh, anyway, welcome. <laughs> Too many. Is Diluting very, the product of anything. <laughs> it's a very kind of like meandering time of year, isn't it? Not knowing what day it is, etc. I apologise for the cold that I've got as well due to overconsumption of alcohol and my body breaking down mm. entirely. Uh, but here we are, sitting here, India having won the series, two test matches to one mm. test match. Uh, I certainly <laughs> thought that it'd be closer than it was. I mean, 2-1 is close <laughs> numerically, isn't it? But the margin was far greater than that. And it, like it mm. is history for India. Some numbers here, like the first tour from an Asian team to Australia happened in 1947. There have been 98 tests played in Australia by teams from Asia. They've only won 11 of those matches, the Asian teams in entirety. Um, 31 tours by Asian teams. 29 captains have tried to win a test mm-hmm. or win a series. Um, and 72 years later, Virat Kohli is the first to do it in that Indian team. Like, it is quite significant history. Um, not if you read the kind of Daily Telegraph or whatnot. or say, yeah, but Smith and Warner weren't there. 
Mm. You know? Well, I think the big takeaway is how scared the Indian batsmen were of the Australian bowlers. <laughs> Scaredy bats. I mean, we all said that, didn't we? And then yeah. Bajara came out and hit like 500-odd runs at 70-odd. Yeah. He's still batting. Three centuries and he's still batting. Mm. I mean, we've been cuckolded in our own homes, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, India, we invited India into our home. Yeah. They came here on yeah. Australian soil. We're used to, you know, dominating people and teams yeah. <laughs> and people yeah. um, in our own country. And... Um, well, it wasn't a very good outcome, was it? Is this something that we had to go through to grow or does it just suck? Well, I think we sort of spoke about this last week is that what did what did we really want from this series for the Australian people to get behind the team again and to lose honourably? Because that's kind of what's happened. We've been very gracious in defeat. You know, we had a few laughs along the way. Mm. I think um, I think that, that, I mean, what's really happened is, and you can tell by the tone of this of this it's somber, to this, it? Yeah, it's sombre. And I just think that the, the life of the wickets in the last two test match have just sapped the fucking life out of us. Because mm. they've been, I mean... I, I think the word disgraced is overused, but the wickets in the last two test matches were disgraceful. I mean, just like there's absolutely nothing in it for a game of cricket in any capacity. I mean, what is going on with Australian wickets? Whenever we go anywhere else, like seem, you know, other countries seem to have an amazing opportunity and capacity to like create the wickets that they need to win cricket matches. Why can we not do this? Should we have a curator on to discuss the vagaries of pitch technology or something? Is this a climate change issue? Oh, why, why, yeah. why are those two wickets in particular? And the SCG shouldn't get off lightly here. The no. MCG is copping a lot of shit. But the SCG's sucked for a long time. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? And, and, you know, the Big Bash League, the, the wickets there are, um, mm. are quite dead and lifeless as yep. well. Two words meaning the same thing um, <laughs> said for extra dead effect. and without life. But, yes. uh, I mean, what's going on? I don't know why they're so unusual this year. And uh, I thought you could just make wickets do what you wanted them to do. I, I don't know the vagaries of pitches and agri- agriculture and so on. But, I mean, why? Were we afraid to doctor them? Like, mm. And what's wrong with doctoring them a little bit for personal gains? It's a great point, Edos. And I think that it's got to the point where, like, people on the internet, the experts out there, there. Yes, they're, they're the ones saying Macca like sixty nine, sixty nine. Mm. Macca sixty nine, sixty nine. He's he's been saying like, well, you know, beginning of the series, everyone was saying, oh, this is the greatest, you know, greatest bowling attack in the world. Well, fuck, we can't get the Indian batsmen out. That's how shit mm. the wickets are because this bowling attack, I think, have underperformed to be fair. Yes. Um, but they're still bloody good. And they, mm. like, there's times they haven't even looked like getting a wicket in terms of just there's no bounce, there's no pace in it, there's mm. no sideways move it. It's not swinging. Well, that's probably a different issue. But mm. um, but like that's Warner not being in the side. But I mean, there's <laughs> like I've been trying to figure out a little bit of like um, why numbers are down. And it's probably it's you know as ever with these things, it's never just one thing. It's probably the fact that it's not a Nash's year. Last year was mm. Nash's year, so therefore people often like it's expensive. Right. It is expensive going to the cricket. But then it's also like I think the the stock in the team is so low. That people are like people have lost interest in cricket a little bit because they see that like you know it's a it's a it's a mm. falling it's a falling stock the Australian cricket team, um, and but then also just like why would you go and watch the cricket that's happened in the last two test matches like literally what's in it for you there's nothing fun mm. about it. Well, I mean, the Australian public is the ones that are being punished for the, the misdemeanors of Smith totally. and Warner, etc. I mean, yep. we didn't fucking do it. Yeah, mm. we didn't do it. <laughs> But the product now has been has suffered as a result, and, and you know however you want to spin it, cricket is a product, and it's just been a terrible television product. Couldn't agree this more. Summer, hasn't it? It's Couldn't not been more. a good product. Yeah, totally. But then I mean, to go back to Pez's point, around the country, the wickets are just fucking terrible. To like, go back but, to Pez's point. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like the the average the average score in the BBL is like in like one thirty one forty. I mean, teams just can't get it off the square. You know, mm-hmm. there's no pace in it. But like, is that because all the grounds now are football grounds? Is that what's happening? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like we're devolving like everybody else into just an absolute like ocean of negativity. Like you cannot open any social media page or any kind of traditional media page and not just kind of be bombarded with like 
many and varied things that are wrong with Australian cricket at the moment. Like this really is the nadir, isn't it? I keep coming back to the idea of like, well, how much of this is just in relation to how good we used to be? Is it just a cycles thing? You know, are we just meant to go through a bad period like everyone else in sport goes through? I mean, I'm sure many people who listen to the show um, do like other sports and support other teams as well. There are times when your team just isn't that good, but because we're entitled millennials who literally whose, whose introduction to cricket literally coincided with Shane Warne starting to play, mm. uh, for many people who listen, that's the case. We just have never experienced something like this before and are struggling to deal with it. I mean, we are struggling to compute this, and it seems that we we are we're capable of hitting some runs. I mean, there were a lot of thirties, yes, um, but there's a big difference between thirty and then batting big like Pujara did. I mean, this almost screams like it's an existential problem. You mentioned millennials, short attention spans, consumable bite-sized pieces of content that yes. are no longer than three minutes in length, like yes. many of our uh, <laughs> videos on social for Wagner, mm. yeah. a sponsor um, of a different uh, product that we perform for Channel Seven. <laughs> Um, is is it a problem with is it society? Yes. Can we blame? Can we put all this on society? I think when you like yes. aggregate everything wrong with cricket, you know, Smith and Warner cheating or whatnot, yeah. um, BBL wickets sucking, um, yeah. etc. Like, I, I think you can actually draw an inference that yeah, our innings are actually just reflecting media as it is today, mm. small, bite sized, um, and flashy, snackable, sponsorable, content. snackable innings is and what we've got. That's why Chris Lynn's the best player in Australia because like, like <laughs> I mean, he runs, he hits a six yeah. though. Yeah. We, we are now Australia now the owner of like so many. We are, we piled up unwanted records this summer, like like especially in the last few days during the rain delays, and we'll talk about broadcast wars during rain delays shortly. But like, mm-hmm. it was just a sea of like unwanted records just continually mm-hmm. being spat out. Forget the SCG one of there being twenty five days lost mm-hmm. re- relative to the MCG mm-hmm. of nine days lost, like uh, one century in ten tests from the Australian yeah. side. This is the Australian mm. cricket side. You know, we are used to like. We should be producing six batsmen who who are gluttons. For us. I, don't, I don't want to get back on this gluttony no, no. train again, but we're I just do. snacking now on yeah. innings. We're snacking uh, and we're, we're filling up real quick. Exactly. And we're watching our diet for some reason because we want washboard abs. Well, we should just be fucking gluttonous. <laughs> exactly. We need for fat. runs. and just Yeah. Nobody averaged over 40 this year in the Australian cricket side, this including Smith and Warner, who played the early yeah. Uh, season, yeah, but we're nobody not. Nobody averaged over forty. No, we. <laughs> yeah. Your eyes just bulged oh, then. Yeah. It's Frightening incredible. You so it looked like you had Lyme's disease. Well, the thing is, like, okay, it's okay to sort of, <laughs> or maybe I do, but it, you know that may well be the case, Dave. But it's not recognised by over science. Over a period of. 12 months, you then are exposed to a multitude of conditions, mm. which means you can't sit back on the idea of like, oh, well, this wicket was green or we lost the toss here or these guys weren't playing here. It's 12 months, you play all over the world, you win some tosses, you lose some tosses, and we still can't get a guy to hit a ton or average no. over 40, with the exception of Usman Khawaja's wonderful innings, which will sustain him for the rest of his life, in my view. Mm. Um, well, we're not used to looking at terrible stats, are we? We're used mm. to just foraging through numbers and looking at records that indicate that we are the best in the world ever. numbers. I, I went on a YouTube um, mm. uh, rabbit hole the other mm. day. I forget how I got into it, but it got it like the, I yeah. think it was a, a cricket Australia. Yeah, I yeah. really do forget right. how I got into it, but um, it was right. it was all right stuff. Let's be honest. But um, <laughs> it was a CATV one about uh, Shawabaktar performing at the Wacker, and he, he sort of took five for sixty or something. Oh, yeah. Rob very, video it was, it was bowling yeah. to Ponting, and it was quick. It was probably initially a Rob Belinda video yeah. that then CA took down, and yeah, we want to yeah. get him on the show for an yeah, internet oh, special do. down the track. Yeah. But um, that's a separate 
topic. And I, I looked at the game and I was like, I just saw the scores as Akhtar was taking his wickets. And it was like four for 70 at one point. This is in 2004. And I was like, oh, he's going through them here and all these great players. And then, and then it was like five for 316 or something. Mm. So then I started going like, oh, what, ha- like, what happened in this match? So I got a quick info and I'm like, <laughs> I got under him. <laughs> no, I did. And I looked at the scorecard and like Australia were four for, indeed four for 70. And then it was just like mm. Langer hit 193 and Gilchrist hit 100. Uh, and mm. then straight, like uh, Pakistan didn't do much with the bat and Shane Warne took like five for the next innings and then in the final mm. innings um, uh, Glenn McGrath took eight for 24 right, so it was a little <laughs> of 16. It was like, okay. See, I, I wonder if like the, the great team that we that we had and we grew up with have just completely ruined us in many capacities because yeah. like, I, mean, I think like all sporting teams are cyclical, right? I mean like – we were shit, we being the Australian cricket team, were shit in the 80s. Yes. Mm. And then the 90s came along, then we started to get really good. And then we were amazing for probably yeah. like 15 years. Yeah. We were just incredible. Yeah, and impregnable. Then, and then we were shit in 2000 and uh, – when did England come and, come here and win the Ashes? Uh, 2011? 10-11. 10-11. Yeah. We were shit then. And yeah. that, mm. England, in that point, have been shit for decades. Yeah. But then they had a great team for like probably three, four years. Yeah. And then they're shit again. Yeah. And then mm. they, now they're getting quite good. Yeah. So in that time, like this like – this blip we've had, we were amazing. Then we were shit. Then we got really good again, won the World Cup, yeah. we won the Ashes 5-0, then 4-0 here as well. Yeah. Um, and now we're like shit again. So like, but, we, like yeah. we're kind of like Man United, you know, in yeah. like the same time, we're like 20 years, just amazing. But mm. like in reality. But is there any national teams that have been, like maybe the All Blacks, but mm. they've, even they've had kind of peaks and troughs here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of sustained awesomeness yeah. over decades oh, and decades. Yeah. Like, do you remember going out to the SCG or whatnot or growing up and like your old man or maybe your grandfather? Uh, and I'd, I'd specifically reference men because when we were growing up, women were also ultimately excluded from cricket. But mm. Um, mm. like they would tell you stories of how good maybe Doug Walters was or Bradman or whatever. Like, do you know how insufferable we're going to be as grandparents? Just going like talking about eras to our grandchildren mm. that happened well before they were born going mm. like, no, no, no one was better than born. No, it doesn't matter. Like there'll be people on the stage who probably like someone might rival Bradman's average or something, mm. and we'll just be like, no, nah, it's nothing on Mark. <laughs> Even the weed, yeah, Mark. Average forty-one point one three. The way he clipped them off those legs. I know for a fact that I'll be talking about Manus Labu Shane's thirty-eight at the SCG one one fine summer's afternoon mm. in January at the SCG. Where so, were you when they incongruously picked a guy with a, a shield average of twenty-eight to bat number three for Australia <laughs> mm. and bold leggies? And redefined awesome. the number three batsman awesome. as social construct. No, hang on, he he batted three for Australia and bold leggies, which yeah. is the mm. ultimate dream. Of all so children. Was he the best player ever? <laughs> he oh, must no, have oh, no, been. That was just a historical anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Should we talk about the selections um, yep. of of picking Labouche? I mean, I thought, geez, didn't he bowl well? Um, for a start, I, yeah, thought he, he I thought he spun he a couple. Him. As a leggy who grew up and got the yips at age sixteen or seventeen, like my head was in my hands. I, just, mm. I was just watching some of them come out. I was like, "Oh, it's, ha- it's happening again." His first overflows, you can flashbacks. see, it bounced halfway down the wicket three uh, three times. The balls one, three, and six literally yeah. bounced at his feet. Um, and so when you get it, when you're picking a guy, on the, it reminded me of quite a lot of like when England's come to like the SCG and they've already lost a series three or four nil, mm. and they just pick a random leg spinner who's played ruined his career, career maybe, and they just ruined his career mm. yeah uh, Ed Cowan said on our live stage uh, for the Sydney show just like it's not his fault they picked him which is true mm. um, but geez they're doing their best to just ruin him just pick mm. a guy at three in a really tough series trying to save the series for Australia oh and also just bowls bucks 20 overs of leg spin as well when he doesn't really do that yeah. here's a chance take it and we're geniuses for selecting you yeah. fuck off or we'll just pick another person <laughs> who's yeah. kind of like you in your yeah. place it's, mm. It's a tough one for him, and the similar things were kind of done with Finch, I guess, the way he was kind of 
told to open the batting in a position where he didn't even perform at its shield level. Yeah. Just, what, what's going on with the selection? Well, just the bizarre setos of the selection is just like, I mean, there's just, there's probably like eight guys batting around Australia who have higher shield averages who just aren't in the frame. Mm. Like, I don't know what Joe Burns has done because, like, we're literally crying out for an opening batsman to score some runs in the series. Mm. Joe Burns is like, I think he has the third or fourth highest average. Mm. He I don't think he's hit a shield year. 100 mm. this year, though, has he? Who has, though? No, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, Matt apparently Wade that's has, the metric. Like, it, Matt Wade, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's interesting though, like, you know, at the risk of being overly contrarian and people throwing their fucking phones against the wall saying this, like when the first test side was selected, like I don't think there were t- there was too much consternation over the side itself, like a- apart from maybe uh, Sean Marsh is still getting a go, let's get into the marshes mm. a little bit. Mm. And like oh, well, as but, a series... Oh, sorry, uh, sorry to derail mm. you, but I think like to go against that I think we were asking like why Finch was opening the batting when Cameron I think White- people are okay so sorry I should be more specific I didn't the, the players that were in the side weren't there wasn't sure. too much conjecture sure. about it right because I think most people understood that while these other guys like um, who had performed the metric of actually scoring runs both recently and like historically like Burns and Renshaw and mm. Maxwell mm-hmm. and mm. uh, who's the other one we'll just talk about Wade, Wade. Um, each of them had had like a decent-ish shot at test level and, to be fair to them, had not looked like they necessarily belonged. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get in the head of the selectors who are getting absolutely panned at the moment and I'm definitely not defending them. But um, surely that that must be what they're thinking when it comes to not selecting these guys again. They must look at them at, at the test level and go like, yeah, okay, you can be quite good at first-class level, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. we don't think you're the guy to make the jump, so we're going to try some other guys. So they've tried the other guys. Mm-hmm. They failed too. Mm-hmm. Which is why everyone's coming back now going, okay, well, you just have to select the guys who score the most runs in Shield. I am of the notion that you're allowed to get better yep. as a player. And so, for instance, like... Um, and we, uh, That's a controversial notion. That, is, that is. For instance, like, I mean, just to go back to Ed, Ed played Test Cricket, about 18 Tests for Australia. Mm. And then he went and played Shield Cricket and he became a far better player. Mm. Almost scored a 1,000 runs in a mm. Shield season that we keep crying out for. Mm. And then the next season, New South Wales are like, nah, you're too old, mate. Mm even though he's the same age as Sean Marsh and could have played probably for another three or four years of test cricket. Anyway, the point being is that like, I think you need to be allowed to, to play test cricket, realise the step up you need to make, go back to shield cricket, mm-hmm. make your runs, yep. and then be a better player. And that doesn't seem like a full logic because it seems like you are, you are tainted. Once you, once you mm. fail, uh, you know, Pete Neville's a guy as well who's, who's, yep. a, who's a shield um, run getter, averages 40s in shield cricket. But, um, well, I think there's no coincidence that the decline of Australian cricket uh, coincides with the decision to rebrand grade cricket as totally. premier cricket. Yeah, well, totally. That's, right. that's where we're... That's just, where we're just, a rebrand. Just, yeah. just a rebrand. Just a rebrand. It's a rebranding. Yeah. But I mean, and that's yeah. a, your, your point there, he goes, is what concerns me as well. So when I explain that devil's position, that's not my position at no, all. No, no. But I think... Um, Maybe the guys that have failed here are also – maybe they're going to get the shot. Maybe they're going to be allowed to fail and continue. But when we watch them at the moment, we're thinking, mm, I don't know if half these guys are, are going to be the guys to do the job for us. Mm-hmm. So in the absence of guys who are actually performing at test level, you have to go back to that metric of who's actually scoring runs the level below. Mm. But the, 
catch-22 problem they have there is that the Shield competition's been degraded so much, both in terms of its schedule mm. and who's actually allowed to play. Mm. I mean, people have said it's a glorified under-23s competition mm. you know, at the moment. You can't even trust the results there anymore. Mm. So it, it's, um, they're just, it's just a mess. It's an absolute diabolical and, mess. And, <laughs> like, and like the best, like best example of it is Agarwal, who is currently playing because their scheduling is they don't stop to play Big Bash in the middle of the season. Um, Agarwal's just been just churning out runs in the, uh, in the Ranji Trophy. Mm. Um, comes in just full of confidence, full of form, looks like an absolute world beater, another mm. one to churn into the runs, whereas we're, we're really scratching our heads to try and pick a batsman. Um, Can we just – just one last thing on the selectors. He goes um, – speaking sure. of Cowan, he came he's, – he's made a lot of uh, quite grabby comments uh, mm. on the ABC of late, <laughs> which is, you know, his job. And he came yes. out recently and said uh, that, uh, you know, the headline was um, – was something like um, national selectors have an agenda to which he wrote back on Twitter. Um, that's a bit of a sensationalist headline. Then when I click on the actual article in quotes, he says that it looks like they've got an agenda. Um, <laughs> but um, Ed. but um, uh, he did make the point that like the England selecting selectors model now has um, changed. They have Ed Smith in charge. who's only very relatively recently retired. They have James Taylor mm-hmm. who had to um, retire yeah. due to mm-hmm. health issues, who mm-hmm. um, knows every County player kind of inside out, both in terms of uh, their runs, their statistics, you know, and what they bring to the team, the sort of people they are. He's very close to it. Whereas Australia selectors are, um, in Cowan's terms, you know, two generations past that. And he sort of said, I think we miss a trick by appointing two people well and truly out of the game. So he's um, talking about Trevor Hones and Greg Chappell. Talking about Trevor Hones and Greg Chappell. And I mean, just so much of Australian cricket's malaise, both systemically and selectorially, seems to come back to Greg Chappell. Um, <laughs> is he... Just does he have a force field around him, and he's just he, he's mm. un. Well, I know that my dad <laughs> and I know probably your dads yes. collectively all point to Greg Chappell as being one of the greatest batsmen they ever saw, yes. and is the myth of Greg Chappell just mm. carrying him forthright until his deathbed that he mm. will forever be the doyen of Australian cricket? I've got the, I've got this thing, this theory that like you can't be an amazing batsman and a great coach I don't, like Greg Chappell to me just watching the highlights you know the old world series mm. cricket and stuff just a naturally gifted batsman you know I don't think you can be that naturally gifted mm. and be an amazing coach because so well. like yeah. you just War. go out there and do it you know yeah. Mark yeah. was like oh why don't you yeah. just go and do it because yeah. I could mm. do it really easily yeah, yeah. it's well, easy well, it's like 30 was... Rock living in the bubble you know what mm. I mean yeah. you're just so good looking you don't realise how hard life is for everybody else yeah. you know what I mean yeah that is hard and like and, and, <laughs> and like, like Mark Warford instance said like said Said like oh, I don't know why you just don't get down to the full to off spinners. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't rate spinners. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I heard him talking about the big bash the other day. Just like yeah. just like all these leg spinners who are like clearly cleaning up well, like you know T mm. Twenty cricket around yeah. the world. They are the, the statistically the most successful bowlers. Mark War said something on Twitter about selections, and he said, you know, why is everyone? You know, we they, there was a kind of a question around communication between the players and the selectors, and people have been saying that you know there's a communication breakdown of sorts between selectors mm. and players, and they're not explaining why. You've been dropped, and he says, "Oh, it's, well, there was nothing to explain. It's normally runs and wickets, mm. but it's not really, <laughs> it's, is it? It's, never, it's certainly not runs." Yeah, I, I think as well. I mean, I was talking to you about this, maybe as a, as you just like in terms of like when when you're in cricket, you're just so 
ensconced in this bubble and you like you know everything about it but then like the longer you spend out of the game the more you like drift out of it and we've, we've even noticed that in terms of like we're, none of us have played in a couple of years mm. now and just like the, the jokes you make they change <laughs> yeah, over time yeah. because you, you disassociate it's got to be the same with like coaching and playing stuff like you yeah. can you can go to nets and watch nets but you've actually got to be participating <laughs> well, yeah. in I like the actual have sport to go and watch like a game of grade cricket in order to tweet <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and then like I come back with like 15 tweets in my draft just yeah. from all the observations you've you've seen there, there was yeah. no better example of that he goes than when they got uh, Usman Khawaja onto the T20 exactly. commentary exactly. or the one day commentary I can't yeah, remember which one it was T20 T20 and uh, it was the former generation of Simons and um, and Gilchrist questioning Kawaja, who mm. was quite happy to say mm. uh, that the game has changed, boys. It's not just about putting the front dog down the wicket and hitting through the line of the ball and going at six and over mm. and everyone thinking that you're amazing. Mm. Um, that exactly. You've got to go at ten and over now and you've yeah. got to do different things to get people out of the way. And I think, yeah. you know, if the guys in the generation before um, are struggling to kind of come to terms with the way the game's played now, imagine how the guys a couple of generations before that – are struggling as well, you know. Yeah. I, I well, mean, exactly. there's this broad sense that like Australian cricket, batting wise, is a little bit behind the countries who are leading the way. They're struggling mm. with the adaptation to mm. three format cricket. You know, their mm. schedule is all over the place in terms of you know how to get the most out of red ball cricket, but how to maximise the BBL and get kids into the game. Mm. And then the guys who are making the call, you know, there's been a massive administrative clear out. There's a cultural problem. Uh, our two best players are suspended for cheating. Mm. Like it, it's it's fucking dystopia. <laughs> yeah, right. Now. <laughs> Sci-fi. Great for us. <laughs> Science fiction. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I saw uh, on Twitter, just to your point, Pez, um, Gavin Robinson, uh, it was in the beginning of the uh, – it was during the Sydney Test match and then um, it was when Kwaja played a reverse sweep, went for four uh, off Jadeja, I think it was. And then Gavin Robinson on Twitter was saying, oh, there's that reverse sweep early on in the innings. Didn't say Bajara play that shot once. You know, what's wrong with these guys <laughs> getting in behind and stuff? Well, and then someone commented, he literally did it for the entire innings where he scored 150 in the UAE to save a test match for Australia. It's like, <laughs> like – but the weird thing is like – you know, none of us played reverse sweeps. Like the, it mm. is, it is like a thing where everyone plays it within the last probably five years. Mm. It's a real new thing. But like, mm. I mean, I never played it, but I can well, understand the benefit I mean, of it. That's why there was also equally such a visceral reaction to the way Hanscom bats really far back in his crease because it goes mm. against everything we were trained as children mm. and young adults to bat out of your crease, mm-hmm. yeah. literally out of your crease, and and as Coley does, which we all celebrate. Yeah. But well, you know, we find it hard to come to terms with Hanscom's beta approach to stance. Mm. And isn't that you know like with every Everything else in the society, the entire thing could be understood through the prism of the PC versus anti-PC movement. And basically, Australian batting at the moment is PC. It's snackable. It's got new ways of thinking about things. And the old way, um, which is anti-PC, so is the way we want to revert to. You can just feel it. You can feel the anti-PC just slowly creeping back into Australian cricket. Like you know, next year or whatever it's going to be. Let's go back to being the mongrels mm-hmm. that we used to be. Get down the front dog. Mm-hmm. Hit him down the ground. Bowl one forties. That's the way we do it. And that's why Rodney Hogg should be the chairman of selectors. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lot of discussion. Sorry, Pez, you want to jump in? No, no, no. I was just going to say if we are finished with that, like I wanted to say something about the fact that it rained for a day oh, and a half at the SCG. Yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. So, so I mean, a lot of chat about scheduling and stuff. Mm. And um, there's a stat going around about there's been 25 days of rain at the SCG right. uh, compared to the second most, which is nine for Melbourne. Mm. Um, I think the, I think Perth had zero, <laughs> <laughs> which, which yeah. we learned. Never yeah. rained. They didn't yeah. say cloud. They actually there. need the rain. They actually, yeah. <laughs> desperately. Mm. Um, that to me says that it just rains a lot in the first week of Sydney, the first week of January in Sydney. So let's move the fucking test matches so we can get a game in. Because I don't, I, don't I don't need the SCG test match to be a New Year's test match. No. I don't, it can be any time. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, and it, it hasn't historically always been 
that way. But uh, mm. but yeah, I mean, heaps of, yeah, we could move a whole bunch of stuff. Melbourne doesn't have to be Boxing Day, although actually I think Melbourne needs it to be Boxing Day, otherwise it would yes. be yes. more grim than it already is. Yeah. It did give both broadcasters, I thought, a chance to really show their wares in terms of, you know, what they are stylistically. Mm. Fox versus Seven, you know, we're doing this on the Diamantini Media Network. We've got no conflict of interest in this conversation <laughs> at all. But, you know, when there's a rain delay in broadcast, you get a real chance to see who they, who they are. And, mm. like, I thought it was so telling. I just wanted to go through a, co- a comparison mm. of what I saw because I have a subscription of Fox and I also have Seven as well, naturally. But, um, like, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a like, just this most wonderful interview at lunch between Bruce McAvaney and Tim Lane and Jim Maxwell, friend of the show, Tim mm. Maxwell. And uh, on it, um, there was such wonderful footage. You know, Tim Lane was talking about his commentary of um, – you know, Shane Warne and Steve Waugh in the West Indies when Shane Warne got dropped and mm. Steve Waugh kind of um, had a real go at Tim Lane right. and they were just discru- discussing kind of broadcasting issues and <laughs> techniques and stuff. They, you know, Tim Lane talked about the World Cup and it made me think actually with the World Cup with that famous run out against South Africa, you know when Mark Waugh comes across from mid on mm. and picks up the ball and flicks it, mm. is he trying to hit the stumps there yeah. and he misses? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is he on record saying that? No. Because what about one of the like – all-time misses mm. because he's really close to the stumps as well. So, again, Mark Ward is kissed on the dick. Lucky. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's picked that up in that sequence <laughs> yeah. of play. Like it's just, even Mark Ward still makes, up, yeah. still makes an error look really good. Looks like a really calm roll of the ball to Fleming. But, like, mm. he's actually missed from about two yards yeah. there. And if they'd, if they'd gone for the run and yeah. they're like someone hadn't turned back there, then, you know, well, would have hang on. The I mean, talk of kissing the dick. Lehman two balls before missed from a meter. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. mean, you know. And I guess Fleming dropped one over the rope as well, yeah. A rifle, I think it was. Rifle, yeah. pardon me. Yeah, just yeah. the golden generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's Everything right. Went right. Yeah, everything <laughs> went right. Everything went right. There's this amazing footage of Brett Lee getting pulled by um, <laughs> Brian Lara at the boundary at the WACA. This amazing pull shot. Mm. And then you know, Jim Max was talking about the Indian god Ganesha, you know, the god of beginnings who removed all obstacles. Mm. I think Maxwell's return to broadcasting has been – one of the great stories mm. of this summer as well. It returned to his health. Mm. You know, like Channel 7 had this beautiful package about like cricket on French Island mm-hmm. in Australia, mm-hmm. salt of the earth families, you know, beautiful ground, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And, uh, you know, like they use like Bjork as the outro tune to their ads. Fox, Fox was showing Gus Wallen getting massaged naked uh, in India and asking whether Shane Warne double dipped a sausage roll. <laughs> oh, man. You know, they really no both ads, showed though. their wares. No ads. I'm not saying making a comment either way. I'm just merely comparing what both networks were no, doing. No, you're, you're just comparing. You're not mm. making any kind of comments either way there. I saw Alan Border uh. double dip a sausage roll in the media box. Just in front of everyone. <laughs> like, I'm the fucking former Australian captain. Yeah. I'm putting this sausage roll twice in this this uh, bowl of tomato but sauce right in front of me. I would imagine that the people who listen to this podcast are probably Channel 7 people. Because I think if you, like, if you like cricket, you like conversation about cricket, you like mm. engaging with people like Gideon Hay and Pete Lawler, mm. um, Jim Maxwell, you want to hear stories about cricket, cricket being told, it being presented in different and interesting ways. Mm. Or you're the other side, you're the barbecue land Australia where you're just like, oh, Warney. <laughs> How t- good. T- Gus t- Wallen, I can relate to him because his best friend is Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> just relatable, isn't it? <laughs> Gussie. How good's a meritocracy? Uh, but then saying that, Channel 7 also filmed stuff with us and then decided not to use it because they wanted to show <laughs> Cricket to Creek or whatever the show is. Um, the, the fishing show with some notional yeah. burly Australian man yeah. and someone getting a snapper. <laughs> that oh, was, snapper. That cool. was picked ahead of us. And yeah. yes, that is a true story. We did mm. film some stuff with them for broadcast and they go, nah, wouldn't no. have thought so, lads. <laughs> 
We've only got to fill in two days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the test match was too interesting for us to show that. Um, all right, so just uh, just quickly, the ODI squad's been announced. Um, there's been a lot of conjecture about that. I personally don't think it really matters because India are fucking amazing. You think Kohli's got a test match cricket? Well, Jesus Christ, he averages yeah. about 90 in a one-day cricket. So um, Could be really bad, couldn't it? It could be real bad. But yeah. then Pajara doesn't play because he's focusing on the red ball stuff, and oh. that's the secret. Uh, good. Yeah, and we've just got Peter Siddle back. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a cricket with a journalist now who actually knows stuff about cricket. Um, Pez, do we know who that is just yet? Not just yet. Not just yet. All right, we're going to take a break, and then after that we're going to be speaking to Moses Enriquez before hashtag AskGDC. It's our distinct pleasure on the Grey Cricketer here to uh, have one of the best presenters in cricket on the other line. Um, It's Mel McLaughlin, who's with Channel 7. Just off air, she told us that uh, it's really weird talking to us because while we're funny on cricket, uh, on Twitter, pardon me, that um, our voices sound strange. So, Mel, hello and welcome. (laughs) Oh, that's a great... Uh, bedrock and foundation for a great chat. It's going really well so far, but it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. <laughs> bedrock, that's a new term. See, so you're already showing <laughs> your love. No, no, I, that actually came. I don't know where I pulled that from. I actually thought that at the time. <laughs> no, that's... Seconds ago, I thought, where'd you get that from? Wow. Well, that, that's... <laughs> It sounds like everything that we've ever created in terms yeah. of content. Yeah, exactly. Why did I say that? that? Come out of my head. Um, I, I guess uh, the, the first one, Mel, is I mean, we um, we're all as you know consumers of sport, getting used to some new faces and uh, two rival broadcasters uh, trying to bring us the cricket. You know, how have you found helming the Channel Seven coverage uh, throughout this India series? I've, well, to be honest, I've just loved every second of it. I think everyone has. It is. Um, it's funny when you mentioned both broadcasters because pretty much. Everyone in some capacity is, is sort of mates with each other, or like really good mates, or work together, or, or you know some of the former players go way back. I obviously know some of them have worked with them, and, and obviously, for example, Nerali, she's a friend from Fox from years back. So that that part is probably a bit maybe in Adelaide when you look over and you see there's two full setups, and they're both Aussie and they're both on the same ground and a few meters from each other. It's probably a little bit odd, but I think everyone's just you know it's it is what it is, and everyone's just doing their bit and um, having a great time. It's uh, it's a very different thing if you haven't worked on Test cricket before because you know for me Big Bash or, or football or whatever there's pretty much a start and finish time this is a you know uh, yesterday was a, a strange one sort of waiting around and going what are we doing what's what's going on so yeah it, it's a different experience but it's been amazing and i've just loved it everyone's loving it we're having a lot of fun so was there never any early tension you know in those first few hours when you both turned up you know fox sports and channel seven to do the, the coverage of the first <laughs> test no early kind of sussing each other out in the press what? box <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's that's totally our style you know I, i'd love you know what I promise I'd tell you if there was, because uh, it would make a good story. But it's actually just been a big reunion. Just everyone's just been really excited, and big hugs and catch-ups and stuff. So, yeah, Damn. unfortunately, there's been none of that. Sorry. Sorry. So, so, no, yesterday, um, obviously, with the... Was it yesterday? Well, when did the cricket finish? I, I lost all track of time. I don't know what day it is, yeah. Um, there was obviously... Or day before, if you want to get technical. Mm, no, yeah, oh, well, we, yeah. never, we never do here. Mm. Um, but the the the, uh, the the rain day must be an absolute nightmare for broadcasters because you get no idea when the when the game's actually going to start again, if it's going to start again. Like, how, how do you guys deal with that sort of, like... Um, is, it, is it a stressful time to, to fill in that time? Um, to be honest, it's... For me, it's fun because it means I'm sitting down and just chatting to people and we're like going through stories or, or the issues or, um, you know, that's what I love to do. And you're interviewing people and, and we have amazing producers. Our 
producer, her name's Anja, can't rave about her enough. She's just very creative. So she's in my ear and she, or in everyone's ear, and she will just say, I want to go this way. You've got 10 minutes. And it's, that's amazing because you don't ever get that. You get maybe two minutes of this, then move on. So mm. we might have um, the, you may have heard of this segment, the Night Watchman, for example. But some of the journos, um, Pete Lawler and Gideon Haig, they'll come in. Uh, Trent mm. Copeland's alongside us as well. And so we'll just be able to just go and just talk whatever we want, the issues, you know, and then keep an eye on the weather um, at the same time. Mm. Or someone's keeping an eye on, on the weather while we're doing it. And then, you know, you just swap around. All the commentators sort of mix and match. and We have different people to chat to. We'll talk Big Bash. We'll talk, you know, um, you know, Glenn McGrath will come in and talk about how the McGrath Foundation, how, you know, Jane McGrath day went. And, and from my point of view, it's uh, a lot of fun when you're on air being able to just, you know, you've got a bit more license to do things. Mm. Um, but when you're out there and you're looking out the window and going, watch, and everyone's just broken, mm. your spirit does get a little bit broken. I think, <laughs> I think everyone does because you're going, can we just call it? You're not mm. impressing anyone. Where were we? I think it was very in Melbourne. And uh, we had to put up a resistance and we had to put up a fight. Mm. Our tail can bat really well and God <laughs> love them for that. But we're all waiting in the race box and seven cricket Australia, just waiting for those wickets to fall. They took the extra half hour. <laughs> there, and we're so close. Yeah, come on, mate. We should get it. You can bat, but just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> That's cricket, isn't it? were packed and then they were unpacked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, just hoping it's that your teammates get out. That's cricket. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. That's very un-Australian. And I'm really I'm sorry pissed. to everyone that just said what I said because go Australia, but my God. You know? <laughs> no, well, well, too much. well, Mel, rule number one here, the great cricketer is the best thing about cricket is when it's finished. Yeah. <laughs> or when other people <laughs> fail. When other people fail. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. this is possible. Yeah. I mean, you talk about there being a lot to talk about during rain delays and this is an unfair and indulgent question but you know Emma Davenport re- recorded something with us at the SCG <laughs> on day one um, and there was an, a day and a half of rain and our stuff didn't go to air so can you give any um, <laughs> sort of feedback or indication as to why we didn't get on the broadcast did you kibosh that or was that the was that Jones firstly yeah. so are you saying you watched every second looking for yourself absolutely you a day and a with, half with, with my there. dad and my wife as well yeah. yes I've yeah. sat them down I recorded, oh no I you said I'm going to be on I swear I'm going to be on <laughs> Minute. That's what you did, right? That's that didn't right. happen. I'm really sorry. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen. I'll call. It. It's probably you know she's the sweetest lady you'll ever come across, but clearly this is her fault. And I'll call her and I'll get to the bottom of it. Okay? Because um that's not okay either. So, sorry. On behalf of seven, I'm sorry. As long as someone's head rolls over this, Mel. I mean, that's all we ask. For. Yeah. yeah. Done. Mel, how'd you find working with uh, Akash Chopra? I mean, he was obviously in a very happy mood, you know, because obviously India winning more Test matches than Australia won. But were you sort of getting any feedback as well from the Indian fans watching the cricket? Uh, well, always, mm. always feedback from the Indian fans. Um, mm. Obviously, they know their cricket better than probably everyone, mm. any expert. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's yeah, something that you love as well. But Akash, I uh, none of, well, not none of us, but some of us hadn't met him before, and he just. I can't speak highly enough of him. He's he's a he's a top man. He's he's lovely. He's really funny. He's a real character, and he um and he's got really good insight. And he says some things. He can go a bit hard early on. Um, you know you know when you're sort of visiting, and then you can just like mic drop and get out of the country sort of thing. So he did a bit of that too, which is which is you know there's a good value in that. But I mm. I loved any time I could work with him because when you're working with someone who you know is going to be. Um, I guess generous, they get it, really switched on, but, but good fun as well um, and a nice balanced approach. He was, um, yeah, of course he's really, really happy for India, but I, I think he's quite a balanced guy as well. But, you know, in terms of Indian fans and feedback, I think 
well, <laughs> everyone gets criticised. I'm not talking about him, just in general. There's yeah. always, you know, someone that just thinks you're rubbish, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but so yeah. he might have the odd detractor. May, I don't know, I'm guessing, but I just I think he's brilliant. And I know everyone loves having him. And we're saying, can you just say for the Sri Lankan test? We know we know it doesn't make any sense, but can you just do it anyway? It'll be fine. But um, he's off to, he's back to India, and then he'll come back to, I think, We've got a New Zealand with the family. So, mm. uh, well, yeah, it was, it was it was a really great addition and just a lot of fun to be around a good man. There's obviously, um, with this series especially, you know, there's so much talk about the Australian team's behaviour and stuff like that. Were, were you guys, like, briefed at all about, you know, watching out for how Australia went about, you know, just not, not even sledging necessarily, but their approach to the games, you know, the chat behind the stumps, all that kind of stuff. Were you, were you guys briefed about, you know, watching out for that kind of, th- that, that kind of thing? No, no, definitely not. Um, the thing is, the thing about the, I guess, the coverage as well with, with Seven, you know, commercial TV can be a bit, um, I don't know, uh, I don't, they can be a bit of chest beating and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I've not experienced that at all. Like, mm. based for the the, um, the brief and what everyone, I, I don't really see any big egos, you know, there are big names, obviously, with some of the former players, but it's not like that. It hasn't been like that at all, and everyone's just wanted the cricket to just, speak for itself and you know test cricket is what it is and it's you know it's its own oh it's brilliant isn't it so you just mm. let it go um and in terms of looking out for stuff no there's nothing like that everyone's just go in do your bit don't be over the top and just enjoy and let sort of the cricket speak for itself um yeah so mm. yeah nothing to nothing yeah. like that yeah. mel at the risk of this sounding like you know channel seven cross promotion between colleagues yeah. um like, have you just just on that note? Have you guys received briefs around wanting to return cricket back to its kind of broadcasting roots? Because you know, at Channel, we're happy to say it. We know you're too um, wise not to say it. But at Channel Nine, it just became a massive jock fest. Um, whereas Channel Seven have kind of approached it as having proper sportscasters covering it ball by ball, um, and some really quite like um, sober analysis in, with guys like Gideon and Pete Lawler and Trent Copeland doing data analysis that kind of like raise the um, estimation of Australian, you know, consumer intelligence. Like, are you guys, like, is that a deliberate thing from you guys? Um, you know, we, we noted earlier that Fox are just talking about Warney double dipping his sausage rolls. <laughs> is that the great differentiator between both networks? No, listen, everybody's doing it sausage roll, so we're not we're not playing class or higher end. Okay? So we're just putting start. it on prime time television. Uh, so Dave Barham, who Seven brought over, he was my boss, he was the head of sport at, at Ken. And I just I've never known anyone like him in terms of his he's a, a very, very good human being, uh, for a start. But he just and doesn't see like a gender, he doesn't see a difference, he doesn't look at you and think, you're female, so let's do this, or you're male, let's do this. And under him, when we did um, the Big Bash and I guess all different sports coverage, the Winter Olympics, things like that, this is, I'm going back a few years, mm. he was always, he'd say to us, just not just keep being yourself. I've got you guys, you know, I just want you to be your personality, don't worry about anything else. Um, and, and, you know, no egos and things like that. And you just tend to, to put, like, just a good bunch of people together that, that got along and, you know, there was no, no issues. So he went over the start and, and largely put together the team that he did. And, um, I think, and so as soon as I knew he was there, I knew it was going to be something really special. And then Chris Jones, he's, um, he's basically kind of taken over things as well. Between them, they came up with these ideas and put the team together and put, you know, like you say, Gideon Hague and stuff, just, just, the ideas that came across and the feel that they wanted was, um, I don't know, I, I know it's different and uh, I know that I got excited when I heard the kind of ideas and they're very open. Um, I mentioned Ange before, uh, the, uh, another producer, they're very, very open 
to ideas and changing things and go, oh, that worked, well, that didn't work. How about we do this? And, you know, someone might have an idea. Can we try this? And that's including the big bash as well. And they go, yeah, fine, great, you know. And so that, you don't always find that. Um, but that's something that I've found, you know, everyone's really happy working in that kind of environment, you know, a different approach. And as you say, Tim Lane, I know that um, they've approached Tim Lane and said, listen, I think you can... You can do this, and I think you know. I, I, Tim was. I think. I think Tim was not necessarily, or maybe he was a bit hesitant at first. Um, not that he didn't want to do it, but he. I think it was. Can I do this? You know, TV, different thing, Channel Seven, and you know, he's loved every minute. We've loved having him on board, and and having Pete and Gideon come in and just they, they've got um, license, haven't they, to just you know tee off if they want to. Mm. Um, and I've told them. I think yesterday Pete was a little bit positive about something. He started positively, and I said, "Do you have a fever?" Because <laughs> you know, they can come in and just go, "Oh, this is bad. This is bad. This mm. is bad." But you know, they don't do that. But it's just good fun where they can say things that some of the commentators can't as well. So we're trying to have everything covered in that regard. And I realise this is the world's longest answer, and I do apologise for that. But I was trying to give some context, <laughs> starting with Dave Barman, just where the ideas come from. And I apologise for all of that. No, 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 we haven't fallen asleep at all. I mean, the only missing piece is obviously getting the grade cricketer on the broadcast. But um, that aside, I, I, look, I agree. I think Channel 7 has... Okay, um, thinly veiled. Yeah, oh, no, but okay. a bit veiled. Not that we're colleagues, we're Channel 7 colleagues. You yeah. probably don't know we have a show on Channel 7. I yeah. mean, you, you've always been coy, but we actually do have a show on Channel 7. So yeah, yeah, get so. us on. Oh, mate, I've been made aware. <laughs> I don't think the um, don't think the biologist is happy about it. Just quietly. Oh no, no, so, you know, Have you had him on? Um, yes. Yeah, he, but well, we actually just talking. came into the room once. He wasn't a guest. He just walked in. Yeah. Why did why did why, why did Hodge and Fleming hate us? Because what yeah. we're we're just normal. Because they weren't as good at cricket. Mm, as we weren't they. as good as cricket. He plays me test matches. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just you know, it's just direct competition. Yeah, just direct, yeah, direct, yeah, direct yeah. seeking digital revenues, both. <laughs> yeah. You know, isn't that funny? So we've just identified the lack of rivalry, uh, true rivalry between Fox and and seven commentators and broadcast teams. But it's you guys and Flem and uh, and Hockey. <laughs> There's a real problem. You're supposed to be on the same team. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. I think, you, yeah, you got to get them on. Yeah. yeah, and there's only enough market share for one obscure niche satirical comedy <laughs> yeah, trio. Well, duo. It, it, yeah. podcast numbers. I know it's very competitive out there. You know. Mm. Yeah, I think they probably have a quarter of ours. Anyway, um, <laughs> g'day, Hodgie, if you're listening, because I know you listen to all of it. Anyway, it's, if, if this is a not enough of an um, not involved. yeah, a, an insider conversation that people are listening to, I think uh, that should pretty much wrap us up. Mel, thank you so much for the insights into seven. Um, <laughs> truly, and, and especially we're going right inside it now with um, how much Hodge and Fleming hate us but yeah. um, that I is... didn't say that for the record that it wasn't don't worry we've been told that five to. other times and yeah. by them face to face but um, <laughs> um, I'm okay if you edit it to make it sound like I said that that's fine <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is fine but no th- thank you for joining uh, the cast at short notice Mel and um, we'll catch you out throughout the summer it's been a pleasure. Good luck, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you on seven somehow. We'll do it, right? <laughs> right? Uh, anyone? Right, anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Boys, it's budgie smuggler time, and I guess we have been talking a little bit about 
the problems Australian cricket has with orthodoxy. It wrestles with orthodoxy so much. You've got to mm. play straight. You've got to use the ball mm. machine. It's all elbow up. But then we try and be unorthodox sometimes and sort of appoint two vice captains out of nowhere or people who don't actually score runs into the side. Mm. We are trying to endorse the, the, the change in Australia from orthodoxy to unorthodoxy, and that's why we want to change from board shorts to budgie smugglers. We want to customise. Mm. We want to go bespoke. <laughs> I get very animated and gesticulating wildly to Dave as I say this. There's nothing more a grey cricket than an over-the-knee boardy, mm. and you know, and things need to change, yeah. you know, in in swimwear for Australia, you know, and society in general. <laughs> so we're talking about custom budgies. So I'm just on the uh, I'm just on the budgie smugglers website right now, lads. Budgiesmuggler.com.au. It's in a private tab, obviously, just in case. You know. And uh, you can just you can just you can do a custom design request. You fill out your details there. You drop in a logo. Uh, it's very simple. It's just a uh, tab there. Design your own budgies, and that's what we're all about today: designing our own shit. Yep. And what's also good, lads, is I believe that they produce all their smugglers onshore, you know, and I think that that's really important in this day and age of, mm. you know, jobs for Australians mm. and everything that kind of Trump's going on about. Not wanting to connotate Trump <laughs> with budget smugglers, <laughs> just want to be really, really clear about that. These are separate things. Well, this is about, you know, we, we live in an on-demand society and you can customise your own smugglers. There is an offer this week actually so we can actually sound like a real podcast if you mm. quote the grade cricketer mm-hmm. when purchasing your budgie smugglers mm. um, you'll get your design and setup done for free for hey, any orders of 11 pairs or more okay is that in store do you just go in there and just walk around the store saying the grade cricketer just walk just walk around aimlessly or is that just online no it's and you don't just like quote like some of our best hits like just go mm. in there and quote a tweet that we did <laughs> about champing or chopping yeah. no or actually use the, the words the grade cricketer oh yeah. right okay Carry on. I think yeah, so, quote. so so it doesn't uh, – because I say 11 pairs or more, obviously that's a play on, you know, cricket teams, et cetera, but you don't, it doesn't have to be for a cricket team. could be mm-hmm. for a Bucks party, mm-hmm. whatever. The turnaround to get your smugglers back is about three to four weeks. That offer lasts until Australia Day as well. So custom smugglers, 11 pairs or more, get your design and set up for free. That's budgiesmuggler.com.au, custom smugglers for a bespoke society. Mm-hmm. Well, look, it doesn't get much more prodigal uh, than this bloke. He played Australian under-19s for what seemed like a 1,000 years. He was the youngest to represent New South Wales at List A level. He's played 87 first-class matches. There'll be many more. Approaching 5,000 runs, highest of 265, 8 tonnes, 20 50s, 106 wickets with a best of 5 for 17. He's represented his country 26 times, making his test debut at Chennai in 2013. 68. He hit 68 in a partnership of 151 with Michael Clark. then made 81 not out in the second innings, batting at seven, where the next top score was 32, which would have permitted him to feel great smug satisfaction in the change rooms afterwards. He's a St George great at club level, the undoubted prodigy of our age group, um, with tales of this young Portuguese maestro wafting through the junior ranks. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Moses Henriquez to the Grey Cricketer podcast. Moses, hello. Hello, how are you going? That, that was a pretty impressive intro. Thanks, lad. No, you're very welcome. Uh, Moses, let's start uh, the way we always start, talking about grade cricket. Uh, you know, we all have specific experience of you in grade cricket. Um, you've just been absolutely dominant at all costs and all times. Um, what's your relationship to it? Um, I guess having played from a relatively young age I, and coming in, and the, when I came in to play for St George, I had um, a lot of those... I guess those elder elder statesmen um, that you know I sort of revered and looked up to, you know the the state players as you guys 
as you guys call them. You know, I remember playing with like Nathan Pillen and uh, like uh, Nathan Catalano was playing set, a bit of second eleven at the time. Um, and I just thought these guys were like, you know, like demigods basically. But um, you know, uh, and I just tried to do everything I could to impress them. Um, and you know, as a sort of as you get a bit older, you realise that you know no one actually really cares. <laughs> so um, you know, as, but at the same time, you know, it's the it's the foundation of of obviously New South Wales cricket and then Australian cricket with how many people come out of it. Um, but I still play for St George, the same club that I've played for basically since, you know, I was in the under 10s. And, um, yeah, I still still really enjoy going back there. The, the faces have changed, but the stories have pretty much stayed the same. <laughs> and that's great cricket in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> Moses, I mean, you were the ultimate prodigy as we said earlier in the intro the player promise coming through the ranks and i remember growing up your name was you know whispered in hushed tones about this <laughs> fastballing all-rounder who yeah. was you know can take the world by storm what was it like coming into grade cricket and playing amongst adult men with all this kind of expectation and hype around yourself um oh yeah it was it was a strange one i mean I took 10 for in like my fourth game, so I thought I was pretty good. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I was like, is, is this what first grade cricket's about? It's pretty easy, but um, uh, I sort of, uh, I came back to earth pretty pretty quickly. Um, you know, I had a, made my second or third year, definitely struggled a bit more with the ball. Um, it wasn't probably until I was like 20 or 21 that I, was, I actually started to, to score some runs um, and and take some wickets quite consistently. So, um, whilst the first year was, you know, I was uh, I was pretty lucky with the ball, um, but you know I didn't really get going definitely until with the bat until I was sort of you know nineteen twenty um, and a bit later on. Um, but yeah, it was uh, you know it was strange. I think when you're that young, you you don't really um, you know you play like I was so sort of just loving cricket and enjoying it that I didn't I didn't worry about the expectation um, that probably didn't set in until much later on when I probably realised that um, you know well, I started to feel that I should have done a lot more than I actually had totally mate um, I'm just no- I'm just noting what you said earlier around um, wanting to impress second 11 demigods uh in grade cricket like many of us did um coming into the ranks like now that you've sort of spanned a few generations uh as a grade player of promise and now obviously you know the elder statesman yeah (laughs) yeah that's right um do you notice younger players doing the same to you you know and do they do do they try and impress you in the same way as you try to impress you know nathan pillen and nathan catalano um i don't really notice um Lower graders. <laughs> I don't notice that they they try to impress, but I definitely um, feel at times, especially in more recent years, um, uh, as I've probably gone a little bit, you know, that age divide starts to become a little bit more evident that they may be a little bit more intimidated um, rather than, mm. and I, I, you know, and they've got nothing to be intimidated about. So I do try and break down those barriers as quick as possible. Um, you know, and ask them about, you know, what they do on their weekends and, you know, if they've got any interesting late-night stories for me and, and that sort of stuff. And try and, you know, get down on their level and make them feel comfortable um, 
knowing that I'm not I'm not there to cast judgment. I was going to say actually, when when you were saying you know you try and help them out and, and break down barriers that maybe there's been a generational change because I don't remember that no. uh, as as a junior like uh, uh, you know if someone was intimidating they'd exploit that to their full advantage but then you said you ask about late night stories and then I thought oh no no it's just the same <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I laugh at how bad their stories are. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing has changed. Okay, yeah. that's very good. Yeah, that's right. but, um, yeah. Just going back chronologically, which is obviously a good interviewing um, technique, <laughs> back to kind of your formative years, more formative years. You're actually, um, obviously, we mentioned that you've got Portuguese heritage mm. in the introduction. Yep. Um, a lot of great cricketers... I usually um, have overbearing, you know, white Anglo fathers who are vicariously trying to live their failed dreams through their sons. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but having Portuguese parents who presumably didn't know a lot about cricket, um, I don't know, what was your relationship there growing up with, you know, your parents in respect to them coming to games and kind of being there at your games and so on? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, uh, my old man, obviously, pretty uh, pretty decent soccer player or football player, Um Back, back home in on the island of Madeira in Portugal and um, you know I, I played soccer for a couple of years and I just remember like him shouting from the sidelines if I'd like been hacked or if I didn't you know if I didn't like score three goals in the game or something like that and I was like you know what I, this, I just can't handle this I stopped playing straight away um, yeah. and I to be fair, my passion was always cricket anyway. So in the backyard, I'd, I'd kick the ball around with Dad a little bit. But I was, you know, for the other five hours of the afternoon, I was throwing a ball against the wall and, and hitting it and going to chase it. Um, so I sort of, I bat, bowled and fielded all on my own because my dad refused to <laughs> indulge in this Australian sport called cricket. So, um, you know, I was sort of, but that was always a passion of mine. Um and he was like, you know, after a couple of years and once he gave up the hope of me being a, a football player, um, or soccer player, sorry, um, you know, he started to carry on like he'd played cricket for Australia anyway. So, uh, <laughs> it was pretty transferable, you know. I, I do remember one time uh, I got run out on, I got run out on 99 um, in, in junior cricket and he asked me why I played that shot. <laughs> Why did you even, uh, I wasn't on strike though. Yeah, right, you know, that's, that, that's when I knew his cricket prowess had no credentials. So, uh, yeah. That's, that's when that's you emancipated down. yourself. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I mean, you've obviously, you know, you you played shield cricket at a time when it would have been regarded as an extremely strong competition. Now there's a lot of conversation about, you know, the merits of it as um, a producer of Australian cricketers. Um, what, what's your take on that? You know, we're, we're trying to work out how to pick the best Australian side and what the actual secret door knock is to get into the Australian side. You know, how are you finding shield cricket now in terms of its uh, like credibility on how good the players are versus how it was when you came into play. Um, look, I, it is a it is a strange one because like like club cricket, when you first come into play, um, you're inexperienced and you know you're you're learning and you don't you don't really know that much about the game and you do put everyone that you play with up on a pedestal or that you play against up on a pedestal as well. And the same thing happens in shield cricket. So when you first come in, um, you know, I thought it was, 
you know, all these amazing things. But then you, you, you kind of realise with time that, um, that it's not really the, qual- the quality that gets worse. It's just that you as a player improve and mm. become more experienced. Mm. Um, and I, I do believe that, um, you know, maybe in club cricket to a degree because of the demands on, um, you know, the families and, and uh, you know, the guys that used to play in their later 20s and early 30s. And because of how much we play on Saturday and Sunday now in club cricket, they, they might call it quick, quits a bit earlier than what they used to. Um, but, you know, I definitely feel in shield cricket that whilst the, you know, there aren't guys averaging 50, but I dare say there's probably a lot more bowlers averaging less than 30 going around in shield cricket than there were 15 mm. years ago. Mm. And I think it's just the, the nature of the wickets that we play on. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're all result wickets now. Um, and there's sort of, you know, whilst we don't have those guys coming out, you know, you know, in the press, Everyone's saying, you know, we don't have these guys averaging 50 like we used to, but, you know, we've got bowlers coming out of our backsides averaging, you know, 25, 26 and less. Mm. I, you know, you could, I could almost peel off 10 bowlers averaging less than that in first-class cricket. So you're sort of robbing Peter to give to Paul. Mm. Um, and if it was the opposite, you know, if you've got all these flat wickets, then you think you're, you're batter abundant and you've got no bowlers. So, mm. um, you know, it's sort of a... It's kind of... The, the environment we've sort of come up in um, and that's not to make an excuse for the batters uh, like obviously being an all-rounder I've put my foot in both camps but um, you know I, I, I kind of uh, I, do, I do feel that um, the wickets probably definitely even from when I first started playing the wickets definitely have a little bit more spice in them you know I, I hear stories from the 90s and the early 2000s that Bell Reeve was just you know a run paradise basically you just turn up and you know Michael Bevan would score 200 there or something mm-hmm. like that but mm-hmm. now it's like the team struggles to score 200 there mm-hmm. across both innings so mm-hmm. um, you know I think the nature of the the wickets and so on just change um, and as will the and as will the batters averages mm-hmm. or the bowlers averages as well just on that, Moses, I mean, like, uh, there's been obviously a lot of chat about, you know, the state of the wickets around the country. Is this a thing that, that you guys are noticing as well, and, you know, in, on the Shield circuit, you know, just how flat uh, Melbourne and Sydney are particularly? Is that a conversation you guys have as well? Look, those, yeah, definitely those two wickets are the most benign in state cricket in terms of, you know, they're probably where you're, we're in the first innings at the SCG anyway, it's, where you really want to cash in, and it's yeah. the same at the NCG. But the you know the other four wickets around the country, they're hard work. Um, mm. You know Adelaide now, and again another wicket that used to just be a, you know, like you used to go to Adelaide and just hope that you're batting in the top three or four because mm. of how good the wicket was. But mm. now it's you know you're you're hoping you're batting nine, <laughs> so that the ball can get in there because there's yeah. ten mils of grass on the thing. So yeah, yeah. like it's, it's a kind of it's a different. It's just a different dynamic, but those two wickets definitely, um, you know, I know we've struggled to get some results at the SCG and, um, you know, it's the same story at the MCG, but at the same time, they they also create hardened bowlers, you know, that the Victorian bowling attack, because they've had to bowl on flat wickets and Mm. learn how to take, um, you know, wickets Mm. on on a wicket that basically offers nothing, you know, guys like Scott Boland, Chris Tremaine, you know, they it actually makes them a lot better bowlers. Mm. So, 
um, just like batters who might only who might average high thirties on green wickets. Mm. You know, it, it makes them much better batters as well. So yeah, um, you know, when the time comes for them to go elsewhere, you know, they can really cash in because they've done all the all the work on you know harder wickets. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just going back to your, to your career as well. I mean, you've played four tests now, eleven ODIs and eleven T20s. Do you feel do you feel a bit aggrieved that you haven't been you know you haven't played more for Australia or even seem to be sort of in the conversation, particularly with the test match? Um, you know, in the test match circuit, but you know, you're obviously going to the IPL as well this year. You know, you've had a fantastic domestic career and you'd never let Australia down, certainly. Do you feel sort of a little bit surprised or aggrieved or whatever the right word is that you haven't, you know, sort of played more for Australia? Um, look, I, it's a strange one because I've when I've played ODI cricket, I've probably not quite done as well as I would have liked, but at mm-hmm. the same time, um, I, I think I played it too much cricket when too much cricket for Australia when I didn't believe I should have been playing, mm-hmm. um, and that's probably affected um, you know my output in those games. Where now I kind of feel like if I was thrown in there, I'd be more than good enough. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it takes a little bit, of, you know, it takes a little while to for you to genuinely believe that you belong at a certain level. Um, and you know, I, got, I remember getting picked for my first T20 and my. I was in first class cricket. Um, I hadn't really done the business, so I kind of felt like a bit of an imposter. Um, you know, and I got picked on potential a little bit. I ended up playing sort of five or six games and didn't do that well, probably as a product of not actually doing that well at the level below either. Um, you know, and then um, it ends up sort of, you know, you get a little bit of scarring thinking that, oh, shit, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever it might be. Not that I actually. Not that I never thought that consciously, but I think subconsciously maybe I did. Mm. Um, but definitely in the last five years, um, I would have loved to play for Australia more. Um, I'd, you know, I'd love to be able to manipulate my career statistics and just take out <laughs> the first four or five years of you know my batting in first-class cricket and one-day cricket and so on, and just you know throw out my last five or six years because. Mm. You know, I think what I did when I was sort of 18, 19, 20, 21 shouldn't be held against someone to how they're batting now or how they're bowling now, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I just, whilst, you know, whilst, uh, you know, my batting average in Shield cricket is probably only 36 or 37, the first three or four years, it would have been less than 20. Mm. So it's sort of, um, it's taken a while even just to get to where it is now um, and hopefully it keeps going in in the right direction um, but you know at the same time I, I do certainly feel like um, you know that I, I would love to play more cricket for Australia now and that I, I do feel ready to play if, if thrown the opportunity and I know it's, you know another step up um, and not everyone's made for that level as well but um, you know I, I'm definitely a lot more confident in myself to play at that level now than what I was probably when I was initially picked um, as a sort of 21-year-old, 22-year-old. Um, you know, and I think that to get that belief, it does take experience and it does take sort of knowing that you've done the business at the level below as well. Well said, mate. Um, one one more before we head into the throwdowns component. Um, so, Moses, back in November, you were 
gracious and courageous enough to give the public a glimpse into your experience with mental illness. And uh, and firstly, congrats on sharing that story. Uh, anyone listening to this show should read Gideon's piece on it uh, in the Australian and watch the seven thirty piece on it report piece on it as well. Um, don't want to kind of go back into it because it's covered really well in both of those pieces. I suppose my question to you, mate, is um, you know what prompted you coming out to do that and. Um, how much of you know how much do you believe that other cricketers might be experiencing mental illness issues as well do you think it might even be more than other sports as has been reported in the past um yeah look i i definitely feel it is uh very common in cricket um to what state and what how how much people suffer is probably like a case by case um i think you know uh maybe not to say that it's not prevalent in other sports, because I'm sure it is, but I think just because of how time-consuming our game is and how statistically based it is, um, it's sort of, you know, it, it is, whilst it's a team sport, it's almost an individual sport at, at the same time. Um, and, and it can be lonely at times, um, which is quite, you know, but I can only, you know, I can only imagine the comparisons to, you know, tennis and, and golf and and swimming in those types of sports, um, especially like when you've got no teammates around to lean on. But I guess, you know, um, I think it is very prevalent um, in in cricket. You know, um, I definitely think there's a lot more people that suffer in silence or, um, you know, that that suffer and don't come out and speak publicly about it um, or whatever, whatever it might be. And I don't think you need to, but... Um, you know, each to their own, as I said. Uh, but I guess what prompted me was, um, you know, I was sort of being on the board of a, a charity and um, a couple of different things. I, you know, I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that I could, um, you know, not only raise as much money, but raise as much awareness as possible for, and like, uh, I guess, for those that are suffering that didn't have the... Um, the facilities or the resources around them that I did. So, you know, I, was, I mean, it's never easy going through something like that. Um, but I think for me um, and any professional athlete um, that goes through it, that's, in, that's part of a professional team, usually these days there, there's mountains of resources to call upon um, and just so much help there. You've just got to want it. And... I guess it's just making sure or trying to break down the, I guess, the gap between what was available for me as a professional cricketer to, 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 to I guess, to recover from depression um, in comparison to what's, you know, what's available to someone who doesn't have the finances or who doesn't have that support or the, you know, the, the support of their family and friends or an employer that's going to support them. So it's kind of trying to... Um, break down the gap of what's available to, you know, to me and to, I guess, you know, someone less fortunate. Um, so that was probably the main reason as to why I spoke publicly because it did, it did sort of, I remember waking up a couple of mornings at my lowest and thinking like, I, I've, I've literally got everything I need, um, but I, like I'm just, like I'm still not happy. Mm. Imagine if I didn't have like imagine I, you know, didn't have everything I need. Mm. How like how unhappy would I be then? If that made sense. And I like it sort of. 
like down to like it just made me sort of realise um, that people who suffer, who, who you know, who might not have families, who might be you know, who, like families, supportive families, and might not have supportive friends and workers, like it's just a completely different game, um, and just. I guess trying to raise money and awareness and funds um, so that you know that at least at least there's you know maybe we can offer some sort of help in some way to someone who can't afford to pay for it. I guess. Uh, once once again, you know, well said, and commend um, both of those pieces to anybody listening. Uh, they really are. Um, you know, really insightful stories, and I think you've done a great job there. Um, just to be completely jarring and unjournalistic, we're going to move to the throwdown section. <laughs> um, um, with that earnestness done, uh, so let me let me kick off, Moses. And again, thanks for sharing what you did just there before. But uh, you, you've achieved much through cricket and beyond, representing your country in all three formats, skippering your country and state, record-breaking appearances for your state, hundreds and fivefers galore. You're on the board of the Chapel Foundation, does great work for youth homelessness. Your Twitter page is a shower of gratitude and praise for your teammates and a strange fascination with Tesla. With all that in mind, um, what do you consider your greatest achievement and why is it your high school naming at sports ground Moses on Rick's Field? <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> I, was, I, just, I was scrolling through your Wikipedia page and I just noticed a picture on it. I hope you um, curated it yourself. But there's a picture of, of Endeavour Sports High naming its number one field Moses Enriquez Field. Uh, I don't think that's the number one field there, but it's that. It, <laughs> I think it's like the, the third field and it doesn't ever get mowed either. But. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think I ever said it was my greatest achievement. Were they just... Where was that? Um, I actually inserted that with poetic license. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, geez, I've been stitched up on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> um, Being named after a number two field uh, is, is a much greater acclaim yeah. than number one. A lot of, yeah. lot of interesting things happen on, on number two fields. <laughs> um, Moses, you were involved in the Homework Gate series. Are you glad that over time the truth finally emerged and that everyone finally learned that Mickey Arthur was the root of all evil? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> um, Perfectly answered. Um, Moses, in a 2013 CATV production entitled Starkey Stories or something, Mitch Rome's an Indian hotel providing little insight, uh, light insight into the goings-on with players. As he walks down a corridor, he bellows Moises before entering your room to a scene that has caused much conjecture on sites like Reddit, CricketBants.com and Triple M's hilarious web content. <laughs> As Mitch walks in, the camera shows you sitting upright on your bed, blankets covering your legs and waist, and you, upon seeing Mitch and the cameraman, gently but swiftly shutting your laptop. When asked what you were doing, you replied listening to some Spotify and chilling out. My question is, how good is Kid Cuddy, especially sitting on your bed with no headphones and a blanket covering your waist? (laughs) Well, usually what happens when you listen to music on your own in a room, you don't need headphones because there's no one else. And... And I don't know about you, Blake, but when you when you're going out at hammer and tong, you don't leave your, you don't leave your hotel door wide open when you know a hammer crew is about to turn up. And hiding in plain sight. And as much as you know, as much as I love playing cricket for Australia, mm. I, 
getting up in my training shirt is probably not my number one ad hire when I'm when I'm about to, you know, I guess relieve some uh, relieve some tension. Can you confirm that you were actually just watching uh, highlights of Damien Martin's cover drive circa 2003? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, you know what? It was just a bad, uh, it was a bad look when you, I guess when you're in a hotel room, you don't have a desk or, mm. you know, you just, you're, you've only got your bed. Um, they're like, I oh, try and make it look natural when the cameras come in, like we've just interrupted something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's, I probably should have been above the sheets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look back and go, well, you know, Spotify. Like, I, I actually was listening to Spotify, but at the same time, like, Jesus looks bad. Because uh, you're kind of like looking at the laptop and you don't look at a laptop with Spotify yeah. on, you know what I mean? Because no. listening is an audio, audible kind of um, <laughs> thing. But anyway, let, it's, let's, it's let's, a great UX. Yeah. And, I, and I can't wait for season two of Starkey's stories. Yeah. <laughs> How good CATV. Great, great production work they do there. Um, Moses, uh, a, a quick one here. Your career has taken you a range of global locations, some idyllic, others heady. Uh, what is more dangerous and exhausting, playing in the heat and with loose security conditions of a third world country or beers with Stephen O'Keefe? Uh, definitely the latter. Dangerous and exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's, uh, whilst, you know, after a couple, he might um, he might get a little verbal, but he's one of the most misunderstood uh, guys going around. You know, I think um, he's at the crux of it. He's got a really good heart. Um, he's someone that, you know, he, he cops it. He's been he's been fine. He's been penalised a lot. But I know, you know, if, if you're walking down the street and, you know, you're... A, 60-year-old lady with carrying some sh- shopping bags and you look like you're struggling, he would generally pull his car over, um, you know, and, and help you get to where you need to go. He's just so aware of what's going on around him, um, you know, when, I guess, 99% of the time. Um, and he's extremely he's extremely helpful and kind and caring to those less fortunate, um, which you can't say a lot about a lot of elite cricketers or elite sportsmen. Um, and, you know, he doesn't, you know, there's no ego to him. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't think he's better than the average, like, you know, the your normal sort of human being or anything like that. He's, you know, we, he's well aware that everyone's equal. Um, he just, you know, obviously he, he's not afraid to tell people what he thinks, um, which is fine. Um, some people don't like hearing what, what people think of him. So, um, but he's, you know, he's actually... Um, very much misunderstood, I feel, um, and definitely, you know, if if you if you're living in a community with with Steve in it, and you know you're lucky enough to call him a, a friend, you're you're pretty well off. Oh, that's beautiful, um, Moses. Uh, we understand that Sydney is a hotbed of haves and have-nots of entitled private school products like Ed Cowan versus salt of the earth school, the state school folk, of those with property to negatively gear and those struggling to make rent of the affluent East and the grinding West. Uh, with that in mind, within New South Wales cricket ranks, how much of a status symbol is it to ply your BBL trade with the glitzy East-based Sydney Sixers as opposed to the Homebush-based Thunder? <laughs> I mean, that was the basis of my decision. <laughs> <laughs> Socioeconomic. Yeah. That's right. Like, someone who, you know, I, I, I was state school-based. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I did come off... I did... I was raised off welfare... Um, mm. So I was kind of like, this is my opportunity to step into Ed Cowan land. Mm. So, <laughs> so I, I, 
<laughs> Upwardly mobile, yeah. aspirational. It's mm. beautiful stuff. Mm. Um, uh, I've got a slightly long-winded and indulgent one uh, here, Moses. So one of the greatest moments of my junior career was the time I beat a unbeaten 130-odd for Gordon against St. George in Greenshield circa 2001. Uh, you were playing in this team, if I recall. Um, <laughs> you were definitely playing in this game. I think you hit 70-odd, if I recall correctly. Um, anyway, in the final stages of this match, I made a tactical bowling change error and was forced to bowl a part-timer who was promptly bombed for consecutive sixes in the last over by St. George's number 11 to win the game in the final over. My question really is, in the intervening years, how many times have you thought about that match? And secondly, did you ever imagine that David Edwards, this young centurion, would later go on to become one-third of a vaguely popular satirical cricket comedy trio? And the answer, as always, is I don't remember him or this ever happening. I actually... I actually do remember that happening. Um, oh, no. I do remember it hitting vividly um, mm. just because I remember never ever seeing that guy again after that 100. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that young centurion go? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that guy's, that guy's actually a pretty good cricketer. Where did he fall off to this side? But uh, it's great to know that you've, you've become one third of this great trio. <laughs> I remember that um, Steve Rickson, Daniel Rickson's father, was actually at that ground that day, and he, according to one of my teammates, slept through my entire innings. And he was the New South Wales coach at the time, so sliding doors, could have played state cricket. But instead... yeah, I, if I recall correctly, you were using a gun more. Oh, that's unbelievable, almost autistic memory, and um, I'm yeah. saving this as a soundbite. Yeah, so most of what actually happened in that game was, so I, I was also playing in that game, um, and what happened was, Dave's peeled off 150 or something against you, mm. but he never actually faced you. I, was, I had to face him over <laughs> bumpers against you, whilst Edo's at the other end was just like peeling off this off spinner. Um, so uh, yeah, I haven't slept since you bumped me six times yeah. in and over, in under 16, 16. <laughs> and you're tired. Yeah, I think... Um... <laughs> I think I actually bowled faster when I was yeah. 14 than I do now. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, through a lot of injuries and so on, like I think the peak of my like my bowling speed was when I was about 16 and a half. So, <laughs> so I'm still shaken by the fact that you remember the brand of bat that I was using. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Absolutely, I, I remember the not vividly. Although you sledged him wildly before that, we're not going to hear the end of the fact that you remember his bat. So thanks for saying that. Um, Moses, and, and more broadly, thanks for being such a great guest. Um, that, that's one of our favourites. I'm pretty sure I can and say that hand on heart uh, already. So, um, mate, really appreciate uh, your time and, and enduring everything that happened just then. Um, <laughs> wishing you all the best for the remainder of the season. And, uh, you know, I um, well, I think you're better than Mitch Marsh. And he got a good go. So uh, let's, let's see you over at the Ashes uh, if we do live shows, maybe uh, you can be a guest. That'd be great. Thanks, lad. Amazing to have Mel McLaughlin and Moses Enriquez on the same show. Um, all right, hashtag ICGC coming up in just a moment's time. Before we get into that, um, the live shows, well, we've, we finished the, the India League. We've been to Adelaide, mm-hmm. we've been to Perth, we've been to Melbourne. We did two shows in Sydney. Um, we had Trent Copeland for the second show, second live show in Sydney. Uh, it wasn't available, but they've been going well. Boys, have you been enjoying them? 
Very much so, especially the opportunity to bring people like my wife and mother-in-law and father along mm. um, to see that it's not just one-third random internet account jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're real people in the flesh and people come and see us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just my personal enjoyment of it. Edos? Mm. Oh, I've had a whale of a time, mate. I mean, I probably have drunk more in the last three weeks than I have in the past two years. Yeah. But that's what you do when you're a celebrity and people buy <laughs> VIP tickets and they want to rub shoulders with you. And they're paying that extra $20 to do that. So you give them the privilege of three seconds of your time. Uh, we were talking this morning. Probably, probably the best thing we've done. I think the, yeah. the most favourite thing we've done so far. Anyway, we've got a couple of shows left. Brisbane and Canberra coming into your Can't cities wait. for the Sri Lankan League of the Tour. Um, this year, the Brisbane test is a day-night test. Um, so we couldn't do it on the night of the test because we were going to be at the game. So we thought, well, we'd go, we'll go the night before. So January 23, we're going to be in Brisbane. That's a Wednesday night, I'm fairly certain. Uh, we're going to be doing our live show in Brisbane and then on the 1st of February uh, we are in Canberra for the final show at the ANU Big Band Room the Big Band Room conjures up great imagery doesn't it Um, big swing bands two things first of all thank you so much to everyone who came sold out Adelaide sold out Melbourne sold out Sydney Perth didn't sell out Perth not so much not so much long way to go long way to go it's all good (laughs) take a different marketing strategy (laughs) next time I think Uh, we didn't have any general money behind us so uh, we we couldn't we couldn't sell out Perth but anyway thank you so much for those who came um, to be part of those nights they're awesome nights for for those who are interested in coming into um, Brisbane and Canberra tickets are available go onto the Facebook page just type it search it yourself if you can listen to this podcast you can find out tickets you know how it works anyway bring a mate come along they're great nights they're great fun if you ask us how to find it you can't come <laughs> that's the that's the rule that's the rule all right okay um it's a longer episode i'm fairly certain already so we just do a couple of hashtag rcgc thanks for your questions who have written as many written in already had uh, loads to uh, to talk about we're just going to do two to wrap up the show jordan donald says my dad has been listening to every podcast since i told him how good tgc is i believe that was my worst mistake since then every chance my dad has had to chant me and really embarrassed me in our team in Newcastle City and Suburban Cricket Association where we play in the competition. For example, he's man-catted me. Uh, he's, he likes to bring up my 1.06 average but barely talks about my bowling average of 20. And the worst one was bringing a princess birthday cake for my birthday in front of the team. Is there any way I can get back from this? I need ideas to get back on top. Interesting question. Jordan, who wants to take on this one? How does he get, his, how does he get back at his dad? <laughs> I'm just looking at Dave here because there's so many things in my head. Uh, I mean, first things first, mm. if you average 1.06 with the bat, that is that is woefully low. That is woefully low. The, I mean, you have to, as well because that implies there have been lots of yep. innings. It's not just like yep. I average one and you had like, mm. you know, yeah, a couple of knocks. Not yeah. even a nick through second slip for yeah. four, which would then counterbalance three ducks. You'd mm. have a higher average with that. Like batting, 1.06. batting is hard, Two but it's not points. that hard. Mm. Like it's not 1.06 hard. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that he likes to bring up your 1.06 average yes. because it's a genuine talking point. Yes. I but like he, must be a, he must be a good father for you to kind of very kind of, uh, I guess, like graciously tell this story about him when he's giving you birthday cakes that say mm. princess on it. Mm. And uh, knowing that he is a keen listener of all this podcast. Yeah. How's he man-catted him? He hasn't said that if they play together they can't play together if he's man they must play against each other but, mm. then, he, but then he's brought a princess birth there's a no, lot going on maybe it means it metaphorically he's metaphorically man yeah, that's he's right. metaphorically because man-catting is a cuckolding it's basically cuckolding right so. okay so he's asked for any ideas on how to get back on top do we have any ideas for him 
Well, he's asked us for ideas and we've brought up his 1.06 batting average relentlessly and discussed how bad that actually is. So there's no, there's no there's help for no Jordan. There's no way back for Jordan. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So he should quit cricket. Okay, he should quit cricket. <laughs> As mm. ever, the answer, quit cricket. All right. How about this one, lads? Matthew Hearn writes in, he says, hashtag ISTD. So a few years ago, I was playing some park cricket and the captain asked me to roll the arm over. I hadn't bowled in five years due to shoulder surgery, so fair to say they came out a bit stiff. The third ball I bowled got hit back over my head onto the road for the biggest six I've ever seen. As I turned around to walk back to my mark, the non-striker looked me straight in the eyes and said as loud as he could, that was an absolute meat pie. What do I do? Can I ever recover from this? Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the, the most lame. village statements ever. So you can easily come back from that mm, because yeah. that is fucking lowbrow. Yeah. yeah. So the, the non-striker said that's an absolute, he's capitalised absolute, an absolute mm. meat pie. I mean, firstly, like I've heard meat pie shortened to just pie yeah. as a as a terrible delivery. So yes. even like the extension of what yeah. is really like shorthand, yeah. that's poor yeah. to start with. I'm just trying to go through this slowly. <laughs> okay. So it's a non-striker who's probably got like, Shirt mm. hanging out of his mm. of his pants. He's probably wearing black sneakers, yeah. and he's probably thought, "Oh, what's a funny word for a bad ball?" And he's looked at the ball mm. and gone, "That's a meat pie." <laughs> I like that both questions that we've fielded today have been, "How can I get back from this?" Yeah, exactly, Essentially, the yeah. same ending to yeah. each question. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You can never get back from it, and you never will. The best yeah. thing I think that the the non striker could have said. Like what he could have said something way worse than that. Yeah. Just like, is everything okay at home? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Have you never have you never done this before? Is this your first game? I think I saw your dad behind the sight screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that's a much better way of going about sledging, isn't it? Rather than yeah. the very like the pro- ex- prosaic mm. specific like prosaic kind of um mm. accurate description of what happened. You know, that was a bad ball. Mm. I mean, that's kind of really elementary level sledging. It's much mm. better to get into yeah, issues of the mind. <laughs> so, Matthew, yes, you can get back from this. Actually, someone else asked, like, is the – because remember how we used to do the escape goats? We did that for a while. Then I just yeah. forgot to chase it up. And then yeah. someone asked, is, have, um, have people stopped writing in the scapegoat stories mm. because, like, you can never escape it? Yeah. And that's, and that's basically the, the crux of this. Can I ever recover from this? Well, no, mm. you can't. Um, but at the same time, you never escape. All right. Um, <laughs> we got some that other. sounded like a, one of those post-political ads <laughs> <laughs> kind of Brought to you by the Amphors of Canada yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you to Moses Enriquez To coming on the show Thank you Mel McLaughlin for coming mm. on the show Thank you Dave Edwards for coming on the show Sam Perry uh, Thank you to our producer Toby Shane Who I should shout out Has just had a daughter Congratulations Welcome Shano. to the club And thank you very much For all the work that you've done for us Shano Over the years uh, My name's Ian Higgins Signing off We'll see you next week <laughs>